0: good morning, New Break. My name is Danny. I'm the Tierra Santa Campus Director. and I'm glad you guys are here with us this morning. I want to say a big hello to everybody watching us on Facebook. Those of you out on the patio, all the moms in our mom's care room, or those of you watching us on YouTube throughout the week or listening to our podcast. We're glad that you guys are here with us this morning. And as we get started, I just want to get real right off the bat. I have something that I need to confess and I just need to get it off. My chest and I'll go back to when it happened and it was Monday and Monday was just a typical day I had an appointment in the afternoon that I had to go to and I was checking my schedule and I said You know, I'll get there a little bit early and I'll grab some lunch and then I'll head up to my appointment And as I was driving into the industrial complex where the building is uh, up in Claremont I happened to see that there was an AT&T store on the bottom story of this building. And my phone, I've had for a few years now, was on the front. You have to hope that there's no wind and the planets are perfectly aligned for it to charge for the little cord to stay in there. So I was like, okay, it's time to upgrade. And so that, morning, or that afternoon before I walked into lunch, I walked over to the AT&T store, and that's when it happened. It hit me like a freight train. It hit me like I'd never been hit before. I opened the door and against the back wall, there was angels singing and the lights of heaven were shining down upon it and it was drawing me to it and I couldn't help it and the salesman came over and I said, what is that? And he said, that sir is the iPhone 11 Pro Max, which is the top of the line of the brand new iPhones that came out. Now there were two other ones there that peril in comparison to the 11 Pro Max. It was beautiful. It had this amazing screen. It was colorful. The pictures were unbelievable and I was like, man, this thing's awesome. I need this. (laughs) And I said, hey, uh, what's the difference between this one and the other ones? He says, well, the first one, he's all, that's just really practical. You could take that. It's real simple. He goes, this one and this one, the 11 Pro and the 11 Pro Max, he said, there's no difference. It's just the size. And as a guy, I'm like, well, that, that phone's better because it's bigger. <laughs> and I didn't, I wasn't even having words in my mouth that made sense at that point. But I knew this. I said, hey, man, I got to make it up to this appointment. I'll come back after I'm done and we'll work through this. And um, as I was walking up to my appointment, I texted a really good friend of mine who used to work at Apple. And I said, hey, buddy. I said, what do I need? The 11 Pro or 11 Pro Max? He's like, don't be ridiculous. You don't need the 11 Pro Max. You can't even fit it in your front pocket. He's like, get the 11 Pro, there's no difference. And I said, oh, okay. So I trust this guy. He even lives like in Silicon Valley. He's like that guy, right? So I'm like, okay, go to my appointment, come back down. And it happened again. I walked through the door. The angels were singing. The light of heaven was on this phone. I sat down at the table and I asked the final question. I said, hey man, what's the difference in the monthly payment between the iPhone 11 Pro and the iPhone 11 Pro Max? I couldn't say no, y'all, like I came home with this stupid thing. It's like huge. I can't even fit it in my front pocket. It's the 11 Pro, the iPhone 11 Pro Max. It's got like three cameras on it. It's huge. It's amazing. The case makes it weigh 700 pounds. I come home, and I tell my wife I got it, and it shows up in the mail two days later, and she's like, good night, what did you buy? And all I felt was like this right here, boom! I had my phone! It was amazing! But what I didn't realize is that picture tells a story because that cannon coming at me was temptation. Temptation hit me, man. Boom! And I was like, oh, man. And you know, when I think of temptation in my life, yes, it can come in the form of a silly phone, but temptation can hit us in all kinds of different ways. It can be very surface level, or it can be the destructive type of stuff that can cause us to make decisions that cause all kinds of damage. We've been in this series now Uh, a little bit of wisdom for seven weeks. And we've been in the book of Proverbs looking at Solomon. And Solomon gives some of the greatest advice to handle temptation in chapter 4. He says this in verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. To me, this verse is a beautiful call to, to wisdom, to avoid the the evil and and dangers of sin, Solomon's telling us, he's saying, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. But sometimes I think we can take this verse out of context. Sometimes I think we miss what this verse is trying to say. And I was reading an article about it this week and the author that I was reading it, she says this, and I found this really interesting. She said, too often, we cling to the guard your heart message because it becomes a meaning of defending ourselves from the possibility of hurt or mistakes. That's the idea, right? We're guarding our hearts so we don't make those mistakes or we don't get hurt by things. We're guarding our hearts. She goes, this is where it goes wrong though. She says, furthermore, it can on occasion be a way of controlling our situations in the midst of fear instead of trusting God to protect us. See, what we say, what we think, what we do are all directly related. They're correlated with the heart. The problem is with this verse is we think that we have the power to protect our heart in times of temptation or hurt or whatever it is. And I always like to call that the white knuckle approach. We're going to white knuckle it. We're going to make it work. Well, I'll guard my heart. That's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to make that mistake. But that's the problem is we think we can do it. But usually we're the people that get ourselves into the mess. At least I'll say I'm the person that usually makes the mistake or gets myself into the mess. How do I think I can protect myself from it or get myself out of it? What Solomon's saying here is that we're to rely on God, to trust God. It's not about our power. It's about the wisdom that we have from God and asking him to protect our heart. Now, I want to say this right off the bat before we even get started this morning. We're going to be talking about temptation today. In fact, we're going to be looking at a story, what I think to be one of the most well-known stories of temptation gone wrong. And when we talk about temptation, sometimes it feels like what we say is like, oh, temptation is a sin. But temptation isn't a sin. We're all hit with temptation. It's what we do when temptation hits us. That can lead us to sin. And the question I want to start with this morning is this. How do we win our battles against temptation? How do we? We're going to fight this battle on a daily, moment-by-moment type basis at times. How do we actually win the battle against temptation? And I think the first thing we have to do is we have to learn how temptation plays its game. We have to learn how to recognize temptation's playbook. Temptation is always on the move. It's never idle. We just don't simply stumble into temptation. Temptation isn't trying to defend itself from us. No, temptation is always on the move. Temptation teases us with this idea that somehow God is holding something back from us that we deserve. But we have to stop believing that lie or lying to ourselves. Because it's not that we deserve it. It's that we desire it. We want it it'll be mine we start listening to the lies of temptation it begins to play out its playbook and it begins to trap us into these things we don't deserve it we desire it i want you to turn in your bibles to second samuel chapter 11 and i love this quote as it sets up the story this morning sin this is from ignatius he says sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is my is only my deepest happiness. Temptation tells us, "No, I want your deepest happiness." But that's not the truth. It's God that wants to give us our deepest happiness. It's a struggle that we battle in because sometimes we think stuff, things, people, whatever it is, is going to satisfy it. But that's not true. It's God. And today, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we'll start trekking in verse 1. What we see is the story of King David and Bathsheba. This is a story of uh, temptation gone wrong. Or better yet, what I see here is I see how temptation's playbook begins to unravel itself in a man's life. Especially a man that was idle. And let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Starting in verse 1 in chapter 11... It says this, In the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So it was customary at this time after the rainy season, which ended in like April or May, for kings to go and meet their, their, their army out on the battlefield. It was customary. It's what they did. And David, it was that season, David says, no, I'm going to stay home. That, to me, is like the first sign of trouble, because what David is doing is he's taking himself off mission. He's saying, no, I'm going I'm to hang out. I'm going to stay home. Now, up until this point in David's story, there hadn't been a whole lot of controversy. He hadn't gotten himself in too many entangles. He was well-respected. He was a king that was admired because of... The great king and the great battles that he had fought and won. And it, it had gone from, like, David's popularity had gone from, like, David hearing it, like, oh, David's a man, David's a man, till David, like, living it, like, yeah, I am the man. You better believe I'm the man. I'm King David. And he was believing his own stink, like, 100%. And he says, I'm going to stay at home. Idle time, off mission, not living out purpose. I know for me, when those three things are going on in my life, when I'm off mission, I'm idle, and I'm not living out the purpose that God has called me to or what I believe God has called me to do, temptation has a way of just kind of sneaking in because there's gaps. And whatever there's gaps, stuff seems to seep in. And now what we're going to see, starting here in verse 2, is exactly that. We're going to see how temptation begins to unravel David's life. Verse 2, it says this. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. Now, the person that went to find out about her was this man, and the man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elim, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. It was very customary at that time to introduce somebody like that. You introduce their family. If they were married... Uh, if it was a woman, if it was married, you introduced her as with her husband. This is Bathsheba, the, the daughter of Elim, the, the wife of Uriah, David, one of your greatest soldiers, one of the leaders in your army. And at that point, David should have said, oh, okay, I'm going to go to bed. The man's reminding David, hey, bro, no, no. But David's like, yes, yes, because David does this now. He hears this disregards it, and then in verse 4, David sent messengers to get her. David should have went to bed. He should have got that drink of water and just went and laid his head right back down. How many times has temptation done that to you? You're like, hey, and somebody's like, no, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to do it. David sent messengers to go get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now in verse 5, It says she went back home. But then it gives this news. It gives the news that David didn't want to hear. He wanted this night of pleasure and fun to be just that, a night. But that's not what happened. It says that she conceived. And the news reached David that she was pregnant. But I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. You may feel like you're the king or queen, and you can do whatever you want. But I'm going to tell you this. When you give in to temptation and that sin, it'll come with consequences. It's said that David had seven wives and multiple concubines. So you could say that David's temptation was was women. It was lust, among probably other things. But it was this lust, this, this power that he had. And The man in the story tells him... Yo, Dave, this isn't a good idea, man. You probably shouldn't do this. But I'll tell you this. We are always going to be tempted by the things that we desire, the things that we like, the things that we want to possess, those things that we're like, I have to have that. Because the enemy is not going to waste his time tempting us with something that we don't want or desire or like. We can try to convince ourselves, I know I have tons of times, like, oh, I don't need this phone, I don't want this phone, and I'm like, and I'm looking after this phone and I can't get away from it, but it may not be a phone, it may be something else, and you're like, man, what? Here's the deal, temptation is always going to come at us. Temptation does not play defense from us, it's always on the move. I can guarantee you this. Temptation will always play offense. Temptation will never play defense in your life. Temptation is never trying to protect himself from you, or it from you, or whatever it is. Temptation is not trying to protect itself. Temptation is always on the move. Temptation is never idle. It's always active. And you and I have to learn its playbook. We have to know how temptation plays the game. We have to know how temptation can show up in our life and where temptation is, where it hides out, where it is. We have to understand that if we're going to begin to win the battle against temptation. And some of the things that temptation does are these right here. Temptation is crafty. And when I think of this idea of temptation as crafty, I go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent came into the garden with Adam and Eve and the serpent was described as crafty. It comes in with its smooth words, its beautiful objects, the things that we desire. It's crafty. And, and, and yes, this is a no-brainer that temptation is every, at every corner. Temptation could have hit you this morning here. It can happen at church, and it can happen on the way to church. You could have had the most ugliest, craziest, horrible argument on the way to church where your kids are like, oh, and you had the temptation to go home, but you came anyways. or it could have happened before you got in the car. I've had those moments where it's like, I'm not going to church. My wife's like, well, you you probably should. You work there. Temptation downplays the effects of sin. It lies to us. It manipulates us. It tells us, oh, it's not that big a deal. Because why? It's built on the fantasy of this idea that it's going to fulfill something with this empty promise. Now, I will say this. This little bad boy right here takes some amazing pictures. If, you, like, if you're a photographer type, man. And I, I don't, I'm not giving up on the empty promise of fulfillment yet on that phone. So we'll talk about that later. <laughs> But temptation gives us an unrealistic expectation, right? We have these things like, oh, it's just going to do this, or it's going to do that, or it's going to fill that hole that I have, and it never does. Because temptation gives us the unrealistic expectation of unlimited pleasure with zero consequences. What did we see in David's story? A night of pleasure came with the ultimate, ultimate consequence. But here's the biggest lie. Temptation has a way of convincing us that we might actually deserve to have what we want. But it's like I said, we don't deserve it. We desire it. We don't deserve it. We may think we do. We may try to convince ourselves that we do. But it's not that we deserve it. It's that we desire it. Throughout this entire story, uh, I'm sorry, this entire series we've been in through the book of Proverbs, Solomon does a really good job of comparing godly wisdom to worldly wisdom. And when it comes to our battles against temptation, we have to step out of worldly wisdom. We can no longer let this idea of temptation and and the wisdom that comes from this desire-driven type of lifestyle, we have to step out of that worldly wisdom because it's always going to guide us into temptation and eventually into sin. We can no longer do that. We have to let godly wisdom guide us. We have to let godly wisdom guide us. And what I'm saying here, and what I'm trying to emphasize with this point, is that we have to fully immerse ourselves with God's truth, with his word. Because this is our only guide for what is good, what is beautiful, what is true. This is the wisdom that we need that will guide us. This is the godly wisdom that will guide us, that gives us the truth, that gives us direction. It's the only thing that is pointing and drives us to truth. Worldly wisdom will always guide us where we think we want to go or where we need to go or where we desire to go. This will guide us to truth. And in Proverbs chapter 7, Solomon pens what I think to be some of the greatest advice when it comes to temptation. The, the whole emphasis of this chapter is about the adulterous woman. And you can change out the adulterous woman for whatever temptation you're struggling with or dealing with or what you have struggled with and fallen into, whatever it is. But Solomon gives this advice in Proverbs chapter 7 that, to me, really rings out the beginning of establishing a battle plan against temptation. And I'm going to read this out of the message translation. And uh, Solomon says this, starting in verse 1. He says, Dear friend, do what I tell you. Treasure my careful instructions. Do what I say and you'll live well. Solomon, considered one of the wisest men that ever lived. One of the richest men that ever lived. This guy was like the real deal. If he says this and he's talking to me, I'm like, dude, I'm going to listen because this guy knows what's up. And it continues on. He says this. My teaching is as precious as your eyesight. Guard it. Write it on the back of your hands. Etch it on the chambers of your heart. Talk to wisdom as to a sister. Treat insight as your companion. They will be your. They will be with you to fend off the temptress, the smooth-talking, honey-tongued seductress. What he's saying here is that wisdom and insight are to be our companions. Wisdom is to be one of the most intimate relationships because it's godly wisdom. We have that relationship with God. It's that godly wisdom. He says, talk to wisdom as a sister. And if you have a sister and you're close with your sister, you share everything. I think if you have a brother or whatever it is, it's that family member connection that he's talking about here. The intimacy level of the conversations, the truth, the guidance, the instruction that we're looking from in a a family or parental type deal. And he says, let wisdom be like that and insight be your partner. Wisdom and insight. What I see here is the old adage, garbage in, garbage out. We take that godly wisdom in and it gets rid of all the junk that we've been carrying around. We fill our hearts, we fill our minds with with that wisdom. We don't we don't take that, we don't take half of it and say, okay, God, I'm going to take this and, and just take a little bit of what you say, and I'm going to mix it with a little bit of what I say. No, what 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 I see here is this idea, and, and you know, it's funny, it reminds me of this story. When I was a new Christian, I met this guy at church. He was an older guy, and him and I had a lot in common. We lived the same kind of lifestyle before we were Christ followers. I was really good at one thing before I was a Christ follower, and that was making really bad decisions. I was, I was really good at that. I was crafty at it. And I was the guy that all my buddies wanted at the party because they would ask me to do the stupidest stuff, and I'd be like, hold my beer, let me go. And that was me, right? Like, I was always that guy. And so he and I identified really well together. And he says, he says Danny, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, it's like you're carrying around this trash can full of junk. It's all your hurt, all your brokenness, all your sins, everything that you think you can't be forgiven for. He's like everything. You're whole, you're filled up with all this junk. And what happens is, is when you enter into in this relationship with Jesus, it gets dumped out. And you have to begin to fill it with God's truth. You can't allow that garbage to come back in. You have to get rid of it. He says it's garbage in, garbage out, but more word in. We take His truth, His wisdom in and all those words and lies out. One of the things that I loved is he challenged me to memorize scripture. And he goes, Danny, have you ever memorized scripture? I was like, man, I just started reading the Bible. I didn't know you had to memorize this thing. He's like, no, it's good. It'll help you in times of like temptation or struggle or if you fall or whatever it is. And he says, I want you to do this. I want you to go home and I want you to memorize Psalm 119, 9 through 11. He's, it's a guide to truth. It's a pathway to purity. It's a, it's a way for you to keep that in your mind so that when you fin- face temptation, you can follow the right path and not go into sin. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says this. How can a young person, how can a person stay on the path by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin again. And I was like, man, that that was awesome, man. Where did you get that? And he goes, well, the Bible, Danny, I just told you to memorize it. I was like, whoa, this guy's so smart. And he goes, I'm not smart. I just listen to the wisdom of others. And that's probably some of the greatest advice that we could have because there are people in this room today that you know that have been Christ followers for longer than you have, that have experience that have strength, that have hope. That have gone through that temptation and either have said no or have fallen into it and know the consequences that come from it. See, we have to get rid of that garbage and we have to begin to listen to other wisdom, not only from the Bible, but from from those around us, the people that know. We have to lean in. We can no longer resist because sometimes when we hear wisdom from somebody where it's like, well, you don't know or, or you're, just, you're just old and grouchy and I don't really care what you have to say. Oh, that's where it's too much because it's wisdom. How do you gain wisdom? You gain wisdom from experience. And those people that are passing on that wisdom to us that see us about to step into those next mistakes or whatever they may be, they're sharing that wisdom with us. So that we don't step into it, we don't say, "Oh well, it's not that bad," and temptation is not as crafty because we have the wisdom of those that have experienced it before us. Solomon says it at the end of, uh, at a little bit later in chapter seven. He says, "Listen to me, pay attention to what I say," and sometimes those of you that are a little bit more seasoned out there, we need to hear those words from you. Because I am hard-headed, I'm thick-skulled. I need a two-by-four across the deck every once in a while to pay attention, to listen and pay attention. We need your wisdom. We need your experience. We need the hope that you found in Christ. We need to know how you've had the strength. We need to learn from you so that as we learn, we can do the same thing in return we can begin to strengthen others with God's truth. We all have a story. Every single one of us have a story. We've gone through it. We've been through temptation. We've been through hardships. We've been through brokenness. We've been through troubles. We've been through all kinds of different things in our life. And we need to share it. We need to share our God story. The thing I love about Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, is it's like the voice of a father talking to his sons. It's like the voice of a father talking to, to his sons and it shows this connection between wisdom and experience and really what i see with this point here is it's a calling for us as disciples of christ to go and make disciples of christ i love how how paul says it in second timothy this is really the idea of going out and sharing he says and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach It's this calling. We don't keep the story. We don't keep the stuff inside of us and don't tell anybody about it. It's almost as if we have a cure for a disease, but don't tell anybody about it. No, if you have the cure for a disease, you're going to go tell everybody about it. And there's brokenness and there's pain because of temptation and giving into temptation. And people need to hear your story. People need to know. I can't think of And even one of the important roles is as a parent in this idea of sharing your story. Here's the deal. I love this quote. Children are great imitators, so give them something great to imitate. Your children are going to copy what you do. It's just natural. You are the major influence in their life. They're going to do what you do. I have a 13-year-old, 11-year-old, and a 4-year-old. 13 and 11-year-old will follow my example. If I'm lazy and just kind of lay my stuff around the house and don't take my dishes in and my wife picks up after me and does it, guess what my 13 and old 11-year-old boy do? The same exact thing. And my wife is like, I'm tired of taking care of everybody in this house when my children are following me. And my 4-year-old is the greatest mockingbird ever created in history and likes to say the things that sometimes slip out of my mouth on accident and target around church people. That's always really good, too. Let me tell you about that. It just falls out, and you're like, whoa, there's people around. Don't say that. And I should tell myself, there's people not around. Don't say that. Solomon gives us advice in Proverbs in chapter 22. He says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. This is not a promise. This is wisdom. This is advice. Psalm is not promising you if you raise your child from preschool all the way into student ministries that when they have the opportunity to make their own decisions that they're going to continue down that path. That does not mean that. What he's saying is give your kids something great to imitate so they will want to follow it. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5 through 7 is the greatest thing that we could have our kids see and imitate. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Remember, everything we do, everything we say, who we are, comes from our hearts. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. He's saying in everything, talk about these things. Let your children see your love, your, your commitment, your faithfulness to relationship with God so that they can imitate what they see. They can imitate it and they begin to face their temptations. And we remember this when we face our temptations, Because what we need to do when it comes to temptation is be ready to fight. If we want to win the battle, we can't sit passively, we have to be ready to fight. Why? Because it will come. It's not that it might come. It's not that it could come. It's that like, well, I don't know. No, absolutely, it will come. It's like I said, temptation is not idle. It's always on the move. It will always play offense. It's never trying to defend itself from us. It's always coming after us. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians. He says, these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So he's saying, he's talking to church in Corinth over 2,000 years ago, and they've gone through what we're going through as a church today. There's nothing new under the sun. They've gone through their own stuff. And he says... These things have been written down as an example or a warning for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, if you think like, oh man, that was 2,000 years ago, that doesn't mean anything to me. I I don't, like I'm a strong Christian, God and I are tight, I don't deal with temptation. Wrong. He says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. He said that over 2,000 years ago and it's just as relevant today. No temptation, and here's, I love this part right here. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. He's saying it's happened to everybody. The playing field is level. And God is faithful. Here's the promise. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He will not give you more than what you can handle. The problem is is sometimes I don't believe that because it feels like he gives me too much. But I think it's in those times that I'm actually disconnected from him and I'm trying to take it all on my shoulders. It's he will not give you more than what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way. If we're gonna fight that battle of temptation as it comes with us because it will come at us. We have to have some practical steps. And I wanna give you just a few practical steps as we close out this morning. The first one is this. If we're gonna fight the battle, we have to know our weaknesses, right? If, if temptation is gonna come at us, and it's only gonna come at us at the things we like or desire or want, we have to understand what our weaknesses are, right? We have to, stand, we have to understand what are the places, spaces, people, things, whatever it is that cause us to have that weakness, that Snickers bar that's like, oh, I know I can't have it, but I need it. I'm a diabetic. I love sugar, but I can't have it. I have to identify the surface level stuff like a Snickers bar and a phone all the way down to I probably don't need to hang out at that place. I'll say this. If you hang around the barbershop shop long enough, you're going to get your hair cut. That's the truth. <laughs> When it comes to this idea of weakness, though, there's one word that I can't help but get away from, and it's compromise. Because the basic meaning of compromise means that something has been weakened. And every single one of us on a daily basis are faced with with different types of compromises, of moral, ethical, integrity, character, whatever it is, there's these compromises that we have to make. And the thing before we make that compromise, we have to ask ourselves, is it worth it? Because a thousand little compromises made will just leave you compromised. Compromise isn't a joke. I, 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 I heard a, a compromise described like this. It's, it's the gap between who you are right now and who God calls you to be. That's compromise. We have to identify our weaknesses and we have to begin to set up boundaries. If we're weakened, if we know our weaknesses, we have to begin to set up strong boundaries to protect ourselves from those weaknesses. We have to set up round boundaries to avoid halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And you could even add boredom in there. I think David was a little bit bored, up at night, maybe hungry, definitely lonely, tired, could be. I don't know if he was angry. He was angry eventually, but you look at all those things. And I know in my own life, when you mix any of those things together, temptation is about to take me out. If I get hangry, hungry, and angry, watch out. I'm not a nice person to be around. If I'm lonely and tired, Man, I'm not a good person to be around. If I'm angry, if you get me to the point of anger where I'm actually really angry, man, I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't do angry really well. I don't know anybody that does angry well, but I don't really do angry well because I don't get angry. I just don't. It's not something that I can get mad, but anger, something to me, is a whole nother level. I have to, we have to identify those weaknesses, build those boundaries. Know when we're getting to those points where we need to say, stop, halt. And then we need people in our life to call us out, that know us. Those authentic relationships. We have to find the strength in authentic relationships. Because we can identify the weaknesses, we can begin to set boundaries, but we need those truth tellers in our lives. We need those 2 a.m. friends that we can pick up the 1,000-pound phone and give them a call and say... Well, what am I talking about? We text, right? No, I'm just kidding. Pick up the phone and give them a call and say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. Temptation has got me whooped. I, I need help. And they're there, and they can give us the strength that we need. They can pray for us. They could even show up if we're at a place that we know we're not supposed to be. They can come there and be with us. We have to identify the weaknesses. We have to set the boundaries. We have to have those truth tellers in our life. Because sometimes we can believe that my struggles, my temptations, nobody would understand. And if they really did, they wouldn't want to have anything with, to do with me anyways. And we begin to believe that lie. But what did Paul say? He said, no temptation has overtaking you except what is common to mankind. Not to you, not to a person, not to a church. He says, what is common to mankind, his entire creation. There is no temptation there is no sin, there is no struggle that somebody else doesn't have. We are not that unique. In our giftings and our makeup, yes, but when it comes to temptation, it's not that small. It's not that crap. We've all struggled with stuff that each one of us know about, that have been there. We need authentic relationships because there are people that are gone through it, that we can gain the wisdom from, and there's people going through it that we can share our wisdom with. And the last thing we need to do, is we identify those weaknesses, we set up those boundaries, we have those people in life, and this is probably the most important, it's not necessarily the last, it's the most important step, is ask God. Ask God to show you the way out. Paul says it, and God is faithful, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And here it is, here's the promise. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. We can't get lost in the motto that I'm going to just white knuckle protect my heart today. I'm the one that can get myself through this. I've done this before, I can do it again. Yeah, you've done it before and landed yourself in the ditch and here you find yourself on your back again. Temptation has come and it's hit me like a brick. And it's tough. Cuz temptation can come in so many different forms. Temptation can come in the form of an addiction, of a hurt, a habit, a hang-up. And I'll say one thing, one of the well, you might be asking, God, help me. Help me get out of this and he's been telling you you need to go to celebrate recovery which is on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock because there's a hurt habit or a hang up that has just been with you so long that it's controlled you it's taken over your life that it's just too much it's just too overwhelming and you can't do it on your own you have to take that next step and get help for yourself Or maybe it's just, you need people in your life. You can't do this alone. You're tired of being a lone ranger. You need those authentic relationships. You need to take that next step. God's telling you, he's been prompting you every life group season. Or You're here today, brand new, never stepped into church because you're lonely and are like, man, I'm tired of being lonely and I need some people in my life. If you're asking the question, are you willing to respond to the answer? If you're asking the question, God, why do I keep doing this? Why am I going down this path? And he gives you the answer, are you willing to respond? One of the things that I love is grace. Because grace is what gets us through. Grace is what brought us here. Grace is what keeps us here. Because we do give in to temptation. It does happen. It happened to me on Monday through the, through the silliness of a phone, but on Tuesday it was something different. On Monday after evening it was something else. Temptation is always there. It's always right in the face, ready to hit us. And when we give in to temptation, does it mean game over? That, that, that God is like, he's done with us, he's, he's mad at us, he's displeased with us? No. It means that he's right there with us, ready to pick us up, dust us off, forgive us, to give us his grace and strength. See, we need to receive God's grace for the temptations we're facing. He knows. He was in the desert, tempted, 40 days. He goes to God's word three times. He says, no. God, Jesus, Jesus is in the desert facing all the temptations. Enemy, ask him, if you're you're God, then just do what you need to do. Jesus doesn't give in to the temptation. He's our example. Now, can we live up to who Jesus is? No, but he sets the example for us. But what it also does is help us realize that he's gone through temptation just like us and that he's not a distant God, that he's a God right here, and that we can depend on him, his grace for temptation and for the ones that we've fallen into asking him for his grace to help walk us out of temptation, to provide us a way out, but also his grace and strength for when we did fall, and we need his forgiveness. I love how James says this in chapter 4. He says, submit yourselves then to God, and in verse 6, it talks about um, being humble and prideful, and he's telling, he's telling, James is saying, hey, hey, when you're humble and proud... Stop, submit yourselves, then to God, and then comes the promise. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. When temptation's strong, when it's right there with us, and we're like, oh, I desire it, I want it. We've got that pride puff up a little bit, like, oh yeah, I'm going to get this, it's mine. Submit yourselves to because when we submit to him, when we immerse ourselves in him, his truth, his wisdom, no longer God, no longer worldly wisdom, we're guided by godly wisdom. We've got our temptation playbook out on how to beat it. And we're, we're following what God has called us to do, the way out. And we submit to that. And as the closer we go to him, the devil runs and God comes near. That's the truth that we can hang on to. That's the truth that we can take home. That when temptation comes, the closer we draw near to him, the farther temptation runs and the closer he comes to us. But maybe this morning, you're in a situation where temptation has just been too much. Temptation has been just too hard and Man, life is tough, and you're like, I, I don't even, it's not even temptation anymore. It's just sin, and, and it's just lifestyle at this point. It's just, it's just everything that I am. It's, it's everything. Temptation defines my life. The sin, the, the stuff that I've given into, it's what it is, and, and you're, you're having the feeling or the emotion. It's like, I want grace, I want strength, but I'm so disconnected from God. And you need that connection again this morning. You need to experience His grace and strength. I want to pray. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us as a church. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if that's where you find yourself this morning, if you're in a situation where temptation is its just—it's that was yesterday, that was last month, that was last year, sin and the lifestyle that can encompass that just is surrounding you and there's those hurts, habits, and hangups that you can't get away from. And you need that grace and strength. You need that forgiveness. I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you this morning. If that's you, if that's where you find yourself this morning, raise your hand. I see you. I see you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. So let's pray. God, I pray for everyone that's in here this morning. That the hurts, habits, and hang-ups have just been too much. That they have us believe in the lie that we're not good enough. That God, you're mad or you don't want anything to do with us. This morning, God, I would ask that you dump out that garbage and begin to fill it with your truth. God, I pray for those that are in that struggle, that are living that right now, that you would fill them with your grace and your strength, that they can begin to experience your forgiveness, that they can walk away from temptation. They can trust that you provide a way out, and they begin to come close to you, to cling to you, and temptation and the enemy run, because they know they have no ground against you. God, I pray for those out there that that have never had a relationship with you. That this idea of grace and forgiveness are foreign. That you would draw them towards you. That they would understand that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross so that they can be forgiven, set free from those things. Given the power to repent, to walk the complete other way. Walk towards you in a relationship with you. I would ask that you give them the strength. Give them the strength to turn to confess, repent, and walk in relationship with you. And my God, my, and God, my, my prayer is for us as the church that in times of temptation, when it does come, when we walk out the door this morning and face the world and temptation comes at us, that God, you give us the grace You give us the strength, and you give us the reminder that you will always provide a way out. So, Father, we love you, and we praise you. We pray this all in your Son's glorious name. Amen.